today we are today we are venturing into the land of sannyas of the renounced order of life and uh we first uh hear a bit about it and then we hear this really interesting dialogue between um Pralad Maharaj and this uh, Paramahansa who is um, using the Python mode of getting food. I don't know how many of us do that. <laughs> I'm living at the temple now and my mode of Python is I walk from the ashram to the Prasadam hall <laughs> and I get lunch and breakfast and then I walk back. <laughs> So I don't think that's exactly fine. I guess if I stayed in my room, some of the other devotees here would uh, bring me prasadam, but that's about as close as I would get. How um, often do you... Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Dean. What were you saying? How often do you live at the temple? I, I moved I, here now. I moved oh, here. Oh, okay. So permanent. Um, yeah, it's, it's not like any great uh, renunciation. I have my own room. Uh, very, you know, um, It's very small, but you know, what do you, I have, a, I have a desk and I have a bed and I have a bookshelf. Sounds like me. Only, uh, only, um, how should I put it? It was, I was uh, renounced by uh, default or I don't know. Yeah. No, it does sound a little bit like being in the service. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. And it's nice company. And uh, I moved out and my wife moved into the basement so that a very nice uh, devotee couple had a place to stay because of the construction. They were displaced or the upcoming dis construction. I, okay. I would imagine it does simplify things for sure. Yeah, it does. It, uh, it reminds me of uh, when I was a Brahm I was a, a monk for 12 years. So it brings back memories, but it's not, it, you know, don't, don't, no one should feel sorry for me. It's not, it's not hard at all. It's, it's nice, nice association. Just very close to the deities. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. it's actually opulent. Okay. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So we are starting the 13th chapter of the seventh canto. I don't think we'll finish this chapter today, but we will um, probably finish it next week. So it begins, it's called the behavior of a perfect person. And by that, it means a, a very renounced person, a sannyasi. So Narada Muni begins. And he says, a person able to cultivate spiritual knowledge should renounce all material connections. And merely keeping the body inhabitable, he should travel from one place to another, passing only one night in each village. In this way, without dependence, in regards to the needs of the body, the sannyasi should travel all over the world. So remember, this is a sannyasi. Next chapter is about uh, ideal grihastha life. Um, and so um, outside of Henry, who's basically a sannyasi, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm pulling his leg a little bit there. <laughs> um, we're, most of us on this call at least are not um, quite at this stage in our life, but the the but a, a good thing to keep in mind is, and we may or may not take sannyas, but as we get older, and as you know, the children are 
off to school and get married and have their own lives. And, and especially if they can uh, nicely take care of our wife, if we're a man or take care of both of us, <laughs> um, it is, it can be very anukul, very favorable for our bhakti to own less, to have uh, less worries about material possessions and, and if possible, material, uh, you know, finances. It's good to have those. It's good to try to get those in place when we're younger so that when we're older, we, it's not an anxiety. And to start developing the mood, like Prabhupada said, at 50 years old, Krishna's tapping you on your shoulder, reminding that you that death happens to everyone. And so to, to enter gradually into this mood, and I say gradually, um, is, so it is, is really helpful. Not in and of itself like a uh, mayavadi or, or impersonalist, but in order to be able to focus more on Krishna. Um, I, I was reminded of this. Uh, yes, two days ago, I had the good fortune of driving His Holiness Jaidwaita Swami from um, Baltimore to New York. Um, and he's writing a book on Vanaprastha life. And he said, hey, Raj, you're that's what you're trying to do, aren't you? <laughs> and, you know, of course, I'm, yes, except for Henry, I'm older than everyone on this call. Henry and I are about the same age. Um, and so, yeah, if 50 is a tap on the shoulder, what is 63? Right? And, and I was thinking, maybe I mentioned this last week, I, for about 10 years, I used to make, or even more than that, I used to make the morning announcements at Krishna Balaram Temple in Vrindavan, you know, right after uh, the Mangala Arti, um, that was my service. And I can't remember, I mean, very rarely, a few times a year, maybe, we would, you know, say, uh, you know, so-and-so has passed away. You know, that was in the, uh, in the uh, 90s. So now fast forward 25 years later, and I get the, I get mailed, emailed to me the uh, announcements um, from, from Vrindavan. And I'd say three or four times a week, not only because of COVID, but three or four times a week, they say, please pray for the departed soul or so-and-so is in hospice care. Because, you know, we're, we're getting older as a society. I mean, we also have younger members, but we also have members that are, you know, now in their 70s, 80s, and it's that time of, uh, it's that time of life. So, I'm saying all this because this chapter may not fully relate to us now, but we can glean the essence of it and both think what, if anything, what or what parts of it can uh, relate to us now and give us some, you know, as they have in the movies, coming attractions of, you know, what, what's, what's ahead. And the beauty of this is <laughs> unlike most people in the world, we can look forward to old age, not because of the body falling apart, not because of, you know, all the diseases and hip replacements and knee replacements and false teeth and hearing aids and all that. <laughs> I could keep going, right? But that we that we can we have time to fix ourselves on Krishna and and feel more and more his reciprocation as we become deeper and deeper in our bhakti. So that's, you know, one thing we can, and, and for those of us who may be contemplating, uh, you know, Vanaprastha or sannyas life, then this, this will have more of a uh, direct 
um, application to us. Okay. Any questions or comments before we go on? I mean, Dean, your daughter is three years old. So, you know, not all of this is, although you're living like a monk right now. Wow. Uh, but uh, hardly. <laughs> but, no, you know, I, it, it's, 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 it's a valuable uh, chapter. Yeah, by no, by no means was I insinuating that I live the life <laughs> sunny us. A person in the renounced sort of life may try to avoid even address to cover himself. Okay, so this is again one of those examples of um, some of the Varnashram uh, details that we, we generally would not follow in, in our lives. If he wears anything at all, it should be only a loincloth. And when there is no necessity, a sannyasi should not even accept the dunda, uh, the, the stick of a, the, the staff of a sannyasi. A sannyasi should avoid carrying anything but a dunda and a kamandalu. Kamandalu is a, um, um, isn't it? It's, it holds a liquid, right? It's a, uh, it's a big vessel that holds like water. Is that correct? Does anyone know? I was thinking. Yes, Prabhu. It's yeah, for, okay. It's for just washing your hands or for, uh, for cleansing purposes, basically. Gotcha. Thank you. That's what I thought. Uh, thank you for that. So again, we, you know, our sannyasis uh, would um, raise a lot of eyebrows if they came to Mangalarti only in a loincloth. So, so again, so even for people who are sannyasis, you know, reading this, you have to apply things according to the time, the place, and the circumstance. And again, like we said before, try to glean the essential point, which is um, simplicity in this, in this verse. The sannyasi, verse three, uh, completely satisfied in the self, should live on alms begged from door to door. Not being dependent on any person or any place, he should always be a friendly well-wisher to all living beings and be a peaceful, unalloyed devotee of Narayana, or Krishna. In this way, he should move from one place to another. So the, um, the idea that, you know, near Mama, near Hankrita, that, that, there, that, you know, things, everything belongs to Krishna and we just, you know, have the uh, take care of the necessities that we could glean that from this, even if literally a sannyasi um, doesn't beg door to door, or the way we beg door to door right now is by you know distributing Srila Prabhupada's books, and we're not begging for our sustenance generally, um, but rather for people to take to Krishna consciousness. A sannyasi should always try to see the supreme pervading everything and see everything, including this universe resting on the supreme. So that, of course, we apply in a bhakti way as a sannyasi. That is certainly... Um, now listen to this. During unconsciousness and consciousness, and in between the two, he should try to understand the self and be fully situated in the self. In this way, he should realize that the conditioned and liberated stages of life are only illusory and are not and not actually factual. With such a higher understanding, he should see only the absolute truth pervading everything. Purport. The unconscious state is nothing but ignorance, okay? That darkness or material existence. So that's pretty clear, right? And the conscious state, and in the conscious state, one is awake. 
the marginal state between consciousness and unconsciousness has no permanent existence. In other words, you either go one way or the other. Therefore, one who has advanced in understanding the self should understand that unconsciousness and consciousness are but illusions, for they fundamentally do not exist. Only the supreme absolute truth exists, as confirmed by the Lord in Bhagavad Gita, famous verse, Maya tadamidam sarvam chagat abhyaptamurtina matstani sarvabhutani nachaham teshavastitaha. By me and my unmanifest form, this entire universe is pervaded. All beings are in me, but I am not in them. Everything exists on the basis of Krishna's impersonal feature. Nothing can exist without Krishna. Therefore, the advanced devotee of Krishna can see the Lord uh, everywhere without illusion. So, this is so the very advanced devotees, Stavara Jagaman Nadeki Nadeki Sparamurti. That one, um, the, the, the great, great Mahabhagavata devotee doesn't actually see exactly the material world, but sees it all in connection with Krishna. Um, but we need to look at this verse a little bit to understand it. So here, the liberated stage that's also illusory is not, uh, is clearly not the Swarupena um, Vyavastiti, um, not the actual, or Jiveti Yo Mukti Padesa Daibak, not the Mukti that is totally connected with uh, devotion to to Krishna, that is reality, because that is connected to Krishna. But the, um, but the conditioned state that we understand is illusory, and the arura krishna param tata, that the state of seeming spirituality, of understanding one is not our body, but not connected in any way to the Supreme Personality of God, it is, is, is at least illusory in the sense that it's not perfection. Of of uh, and and it doesn't see the supreme Lord or the supreme truth pervading everyone's everywhere. So this is um, to, or the, uh, the Prabhupada talked about night and daydream. That at night we're dreaming. Clearly, it's illusory. Um, and we all have that experience that we wake up and we if we remember the dream generally doesn't have any connection with reality, but that our daydream is also there for most people who are not connected to the Supreme because they're, they're absorbed in the comings and goings of this world. And from a sannyasi's point of view, it's all temporary. It's, 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 and relationships in this world are like two pieces of seaweed coming together and going apart in the ocean. That's the sannyasi's uh, view of, of the world. And so a really paka sannyasi fixes them consciousness on Krishna. And we are meant to do that as well. Maybe not exactly in the, um, we may not look at the world exactly the way a sannyasi does in that sense. Well, although there's nothing uh, wrong with that, but we may, at least we may have to be dealing with the world we can't, like, you know, consider our our spouse and our children as two pieces of seaweed that come together and fall apart, and then we say, well, you know, to heck with them, <laughs> right? We have our we have our duty in the Grihasa Ashram, which we'll hear about next chapter, 
But remember, it's, it's good to remember that the, uh, this chapter is about sannyasis and we can glean the essence from it. So uh, questions, comments on, on um, this point? If not, we can go on. There's all kinds of interesting things, but please you know, feel free to go off of mute anytime or put in the chat any questions or comments you have. So since the material body is text six, since the material body is sure to be vanquished and the duration of one's life is not fixed, okay? Any, any doubt about that? those two points? Body's sure to be vanquished, and we don't, don't know how long. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> we don't know how long we're going to live. Mm. Neither death nor life is to be praised. Rather, one should observe the eternal time factor in which the living entity manifests himself and disappears. Excellent. And therefore, so that so based on that view of the world. Literature that is a useless waste of time. And here, of course, we can apply literature to television, to the internet, you know, etc. Literature that is a useless waste of time. In other words, literature without spiritual benefit should be rejected. One should not become a professional teacher as a means of earning one's livelihood, nor should one indulge in arguments and counter-arguments, nor should one take shelter of any cause or faction. Report. A person desiring to advance in spiritual understanding should be extremely careful to avoid reading ordinary literature. Um, and again, we can, we can extend this to uh, electronic sources. The world is full of ordinary literature that creates unnecessary agitation in the mind. Such literatures, including newspapers, dramas, novels, and magazines, is factually not meant for advancement in spiritual knowledge. So as, as strong as this sounds, can any of us argue that Time Magazine or New York Times or um, uh, Fox News, if that's your you know, flavor of the month, uh, flavor or, or um, you know, even Hemingway's wonderful writing and things like that. Um, of course, some literature does have spiritual knowledge in it. Um, even some of Shakespeare's writing that certainly does as well. Um, but could we really argue that most of the novels, magazines, dramas, and newspapers are not specifically written for advancement in spiritual knowledge? Is that a fair statement? Yes. Yeah. Sure. yeah, it's just not, that's not the purpose of it. Therefore, uh, and at sannyasi especially has, is meant to be careful about that. Um, and I think, I think we know, we, and we've talked about this so many times, so we won't harp on it, but um, certainly, you know, probably for many, many years, but at least in the last, you know, whatever it is, 10 years or whatever, um, you know, keeping up with all of the politics is very agitating to the mind. You know, because, because it's so um, divided now and, and the tendency is to take one side or the other, or even if you're in the middle, you get, you, then you get agitated by both sides, <laughs> right? So it's, it's extremely agitating and, um, 
you know, uh, I bring this up. If you're a sports fan, you know, only one team out of those 32 or 24 or 40, whatever, in any league actually wins the whole thing. So you're subject to losing <laughs> whatever, you know, all the time. So, so, so many things are, are um, distractions. Indeed, it has been described as a place of enjoyment for crows, Anyone advancing in spiritual knowledge must reject such literature. Furthermore, one should not concern oneself. Also, before we go on to the furthermore, so rejecting such literature means finding other literature that we can't, we have to fill the void. We can't, it's not going to work to just say, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm canceling my Netflix uh, subscription. So, uh, if you spent um, six hours a week on Netflix, what are you going to do with that six hours? You know, uh, you, you'll find something else that's probably not, you know. So the idea is we really have to replace it with enjoyable spiritual hearing and chanting. Something that we really find enlightening and enlivening. I do have a question about this. Um, please, please. So... <clears throat> You know, in, in the world we're in, um, you know, I, I feel like if, if we're kind of in this movement or, or you know, in the frame of mind, um, we're probably sort of at least somewhat uniquely qualified to be able to have a favorable input to the world, right? Of course, that requires some paying attention. So, for instance, um, not to get into the details, but, you know, I've currently been kind of perturbed by some of the stuff going on with the, with the school systems and school boards and stuff like that. And I can also tell you, I've been one of those people that kind of like when, whenever those parts of a, of a ballot come up, I've kind of defaulted to a certain party because frankly, I didn't do the research. You know, we all know about who's <laughs> running for president. This and, and then you turn around a couple of years later and you're like, Oh my God, what are these people thinking? You, you know what I mean? So it seems like, to some extent, if, if we're at least not somewhat engaged, it's almost like handing the reins over to those people who, <laughs> who would be and, and want to wanna use it for um, either intentionally bad purposes or, or nefarious purposes or who are just kind of like, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, uh, there's, there's different ways to look at it. First of all, if one is a sannyasi and they've really... Uh, mm -hmm. are, you know, elderly and preparing to go back to Godhead. Uh, they might not get in, like you have a three-year-old daughter who might be going to school right. in a year or two. And, and so it's very, it, it's, it's much more relevant to you than, um, you know, um, you know, so-and-so Maharaj. Um, <laughs> and, and so that's one point is uh, if it affects us in some way, definitely. Another point is, um, if it affects our ability to have outreach or to connect with people. I, I think I told you that story years ago. A friend of mine was very, you know, just not engaged in the world at all. This was like 1973, I think it was. And he was on an airplane and dressed in his, you know, devotion, uh, Dodi and Korta. And the person said, so what do you think of the Watergate plumbers? And he said, who are they? Plumbers? What are you talking about? 
he didn't know he hadn't heard about Watergate. Uh, and the person was like, you know, what rock have you been under for the life? So, you know, having some awareness, um, there's a difference between having some awareness and, you know, reading everything on it and checking out 10 different websites and, and getting more and more disturbed as, as, and angry at so-and-so for saying such and such, you know, there's, there's that. So we also can gauge um, our, how these things are affecting our consciousness. That would mm. be my thoughts. And what do others think? I'm sorry. I'm asking if anyone else oh. on the call has uh, okay. some thoughts. Yeah. Well, I think social media can be very um, unnecessarily agitating. Yeah. Yeah. Social media, without a doubt, it just sucks the life force out of you. I, I Even on the best of days, I, I cannot ever say one time that I, I left a, a bout of social media reading uh, coming away feeling like, wow, I really feel invigorated now. You know, I mean, it's... It's yes. like this, this just ongoing um, means to compare yourself against other people. And this and that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really, yeah. Yes, and I, I wish you all the best uh, with your daughter as she grows up and how she's going to navigate social media. But yes, it's, it's, yeah, uh, it's these, these verses definitely uh, are like right on during social media, especially, isn't it? Yeah. Um, unless anyone else, if I'm happy to hear anyone else, but just go up with mute. Otherwise, I'll continue with this purport. But it's something to, and I told you I have this app. It's called uh, Rescue Time. It's I, I, I don't know if it's only for Apple or what, but I get a report every week of how many, uh, how much time I've spent on every different website and how much time I spent on Microsoft Word and how much time I spent on Acrobat and, and all that. And it is, it is helpful for me to see where I need to uh, be more careful. And uh, I, again, I only know Apple products, but uh, iPhones have a, a screen time app that gives you a similar thing for how you use your phone. Okay, then uh, I'm happy if you want to say more. So anyone advancing in spiritual knowledge must reject such literature. That's a powerful statement. Uh, furthermore, one should not, in other places, Prabhupada said, you know, being aware of mundane knowledge, uh, mundane um, news is not, I can't remember the exact word, but he, he, he didn't uh, condemn it. But, you know, again, there's a difference between awareness, awareness and soaking it up. Furthermore, one should not concern oneself with the conclusion of various logicians or philosophers. Of course, those who preach sometimes need to argue with the contentions of opponents, but as much as possible, one should avoid an argumentative attitude. Now, you can guess that I love that statement, <laughs> um, looking at the world through my lens. As much as possible, one should avoid an argumentative attitude. And that's one of the problems with social media is that it's full of argumentative attitudes. And in the verse, it said in English, it says one should not indulge in arguments and counter arguments. Now, again, if it's philosophical and you're trying to establish Krishna's position or, the, or that there is God, that's that's something different. But we but, you know, just I mean, 
let's face it, uh, I'm not going to take sides or anything, but how much time have the world and even devotees waste, spent on arguments and counterarguments about vaccinations, as an example? Um, just, it's, it's wild. Um, so we should try to avoid, you know, that doesn't help us generally remember Krishna. And remember the, as, as sadhakas, smartavya satatam vishnu vishmartavya nirjatuchit, that our focus is to remember Krishna and not forget him. And nor should one take shelter of any cause or factions. Now, again, this is for sannyasi especially, but when you think about um, how precious time is, um, we can get very much easily the mode of passion, ignorance can get us very much into counter arguments and counter arguments, causes and factions. So powerful, powerful purport here from Srila Prabhupada. Some questions or comments, realizations on this. Nandi Mukhi, we haven't heard from you yet today. Whenever you wish, or uh, Ananda Rupa, and uh, Jiva, and Shakshi, and Gurdas, David, Sharadiya, Henry. Anyway, I'm not, but whenever you, yes, go ahead, Oh, go ahead, Shakshi, and then Raghunanda. Yes, Shakshi. Yeah, please accept my humble obeisances. So when you say if there is no argument, um, that's the cause, like, uh, uh, that reminds me that, like, how con Krishna conscious is going to help. Uh, only Krishna consciousness, people see Krishna's hand on every incident, mm. in every activity, um, and then just basically accept and admit uh, the, the consequences of the uh, things happening around us. Or else, like, uh, if it's, no, if it is like, if they are not conscious, they just go into an argument or like to uh, reflect or like to have to respond to the actions. So, yeah, and then our egos get into it, right, Prabhu? Right, you know, yeah. that you take a side and then it's all, it's a real identity thing. Like, this is me. I believe in such and such. Yeah, um, yeah that's a good point. Thank you, Shakshi Gopal. Raghunanda Prabhu? Um, this verse particularly reminded me of uh, Rupa Goswami when that uh, traveling pundit came for a debate. Rupa Goswami was not even interested. Okay, you want me to write up that I lost the debate? Okay, here, take it and go. I'm more, uh, I, I don't have any time for this uh, uh, debates, yeah, I, I last I, I don't have any knowledge, that's fine with me. But Jiva Goswami on the other hand, couldn't take it that some person who doesn't even have much knowledge as compared to Rupa Goswami is going about bragging uh, that he defeated Rupa Goswami and then he engages in a debate and defeats him to protect the honor of his uh, guru. But when Rupa Goswami comes to hear about it, he says, you cannot stay in Vrindavan anymore. You are not qualified. Step out of Vrindavan. <laughs> and he's banished for a few, few months. And then they, he is accepted back. Yes. So, very, yeah, very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that, that, uh, that pastime is, is quite wonderful. Yeah. Thank, you, thank you for that. I don't know if it's Jiva or Jiva Tatra Prabhu or Nanda Rupa Mataji, but one of you have your hand up. 
Hare Krishna. Prabhuji. Ah, Shiva. Okay, yes. Uh, points in this particular uh, chapter as we are studying. And I just wanted to add, means again, uh, there are, Srila Prabhupada also writes many in many of his purpose that they are professional reciters. They mm. lectures on Bhagavad Gita and all. And then there are people who even coming from Vedic civilization, like in India, they challenge why is why we sing, uh, you know chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Isn't it Hare Ram, Hare Ram? They create this. While right there in Ramayana, means again, Valmiki, his own example is there when he was the hunter, right? And he could not even say Ram. So Devashinada told him to chant Mara, Mara, Mara. Mm, right, right. So there is Vedic evidences, but then people, they, uh, you know, they just create, even on the point of, uh, uh, you know, arguments on these topics. And when we look at Lord Buddha's appearance, that's also signifying that the Vedas are all good, but its application was misdirected. That's a good point. Yes. Thank you for that. Yes. Or Shiva, he incarnates as Shankaracharya is good, and he does say, Bhajgovindam, Bhajgovindam, Govindam, Bhajimunamati. Right? So he's giving the conclusion, but they ignore it and thinking that, oh, Maya Devi has provided the body for Krishna, and then Krishna is appearing, so it is Brahman, and so forth. So again, the examples can just keep going on unlimitedly. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, Guru Daspro? Sorry, I was muted. Um, just to build on Raghunandana's nice example um, of uh, Jiva Goswami stepping forward and, and arguing on, you know, on behalf of his guru, um, that's the one exception to this, that uh, we can, if it's uh, to preserve the honor of the Vaishnava or the Vaishnava uh, teachings, then we, then, then we step forward um, and with a cool head try to defeat all nonsense or in the face of stupidity, we have to point out that stupidity, but it's in relation to preaching. Um, but otherwise, the argumentative uh, attitudes that you mentioned, of course, we with various degrees of success, try to avoid. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I, I think I've mentioned this before that, you know, we, we ask ourselves, what is my service in this situation? Is my service to, you know, correct someone who's, you know, expounding really wrong philosophy or is it to just ram ram? <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you for that. Good. So, yeah, you know, um, and also picking up on uh, what Chakchi Gopal or was it Jiva uh, Tatrapu, you know, knowing, yeah, the same point, knowing what is our duty, when, you know, uh, when to, when to, you know, fight and argue and, and try to, you know, uh, uh, defend the honor of Krishna or his devotees and when to just, Say, oh, you know, this is really a useless argument that's wasting my time, and I don't need. To. <laughs> it's time to remember Krishna. Uh, I think there's a lot more of the time wasters than the um, upholding the honor <laughs> in this, especially these days. So let's carry on. Um, 
and we are up to verse 10. We're doing well in terms of verses. A sannyasi must not present allurements of material benefits to gather many disciples, nor should he unnecessarily read many books or give discourses as a means of livelihood. Now, reading many books means, you know, we talked about this in Nectar Devotion, like in a different lifetime when we studied that Bhakti Shastri. Um, but the idea of reading it to, to just um, uh, show your erudition, you know, uh, reading, you know, um, hearing the Shastra and, and being well-versed in the Shastra is not what it means here by reading it, but it's, to, it's, you know, and then to give discourses where people give you a lot of money, that's not the idea. One must never attempt to increase material opulences unnecessarily. That's a difficult one to defeat within oneself, I think, because when we become devotees, or at least in my case, um, I was very attracted, as many devotees are when you go to hear Srimad Bhagavatam class and a knowledgeable devotee is, is quoting many verses and you think to yourself, boy, I want to be like that. Um, you know, because, you know, that's, you know, he, he's very versatile and very intelligent about, you know, uh, quoting uh, glorifying Krishna. Um, um, yeah, so, so Oh, sorry, go ahead. No. Um, so basically, uh, in, in, in my case, it's something, you know, oh, I, you know, aspire to, uh, to learn many verses. But then, uh, as you say, um, it can be a trap also if it's, uh, if it's mixed. Yes, like many things in this world can be a trap, right? Many things are like that. You know, they can be uh, they can be good and they can be a trap. So yeah, we just have to be uh, careful. Yeah. So in um, thank you for that. A peaceful, equipoised person who is factually advanced in spiritual consciousness does not need to accept the symbols of a sannyasi, such as the tree dandi and kamandalu. According to necessity, he may sometimes accept these symbols and sometimes reject them. About halfway through the purport, Prabhupada writes that generally the Vaishnava sannyasis, being Paramahamsas, are automatically called Babajis. More traditionally, before Bhakti, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur really introduced sannyas in, in the Gaudiya line. As remember, we're here, we're talking about Varnashrama and Vaishnavas, by definition, now we have to define what a Vaishnava is, but Vaishnava, by definition, is above uh, Varnashrama. They're right, they are um, on the spiritual platform, which doesn't um, have to adhere to occupational designations and, and orders of life. But we accept, and Rupa Goswami says this in the Nectar of Devotion, that Varnashram in and of itself, is not um, pure devotional service, right? It's in the it's at the end of the thirteenth chapter of the Nectar Devotion, <clears throat> but it's favorable to devotional service, and therefore Shila Bhakti Sananta Sarasati Thakur introduced 
sannyas. But prior to that, most people were Babaji's in the line of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, like, you know, Gorkishore Das Babaji Maharaj, Jagannath Das Babaji, like that. Um, and they and they did not carry a Kamandala or Danda. They didn't, they weren't, um, they were beyond sannyas, you could say. Um, such a sannyasi is free to accept or reject the marks of a sannyasi. He only, his only thought is, where is there an opportunity to spread Krishna consciousness? Sometimes the Krishna consciousness movement sends its representative sannyasis to foreign countries where the Danda and Kamandalu are not very much appreciated. And, and I think we, we, most of us here live in a country that's like that. They're not used to that, uh, the average person, a Danda and a Kamandalu. We send our preachers in ordinary dress to introduce our books and philosophy. Our only concern is to attract people to Krishna consciousness. We may do this in the dress of a sannyasi or in the regular dress of gentlemen. Our only concern is to spread interest in Krishna consciousness. Notice Prabhupada uses the word gentleman because he wasn't very uh, impressed. Remember, remember, he was here in the 60s and 70s. He wasn't very impressed with the way hippies dressed and their uh, level of um, cleanliness. <laughs> But therefore, but but um, dressing as a gentleman, Prabhupada wasn't uh, against that, hmm. especially for you know for the means of uh, interacting with this world. So a few. So besides that, so you know we're hearing we're seeing here Prabhupada's um, keep reminding us to keep the, make sure the main thing remains the main thing. Right, and you don't get into details that don't help the the principle. Well, the principle is to become Krishna conscious and to help others. And if a detail um, can be adjusted to help others, then we we make those details. It, it's not. It's tricky. It's tricky. You know, you don't want to change a principle, but uh, and we try. Maybe, I mean, maybe one thing is, you know, we try to keep to the tradition as much as practical. And I use that word instead of, I said, instead of much as practical, instead as much as possible. There's a little slight difference there. Um, yet we can make adjustments um, just like demographically because of the changes in demographics in ISKCON after Prabhupada left, we've made so many adjustments where there's so many, where most of the devotees are living um, in the world um, as married people, as opposed to where almost everyone was living in the ashram in Prabhupada's time. So naturally we made some adjustments because of that. Um, okay, um, anything on this or before we go forward? You mentioned it. Go ahead. Go ahead um, um, Jiva, were you saying something? Somebody was saying something. Or Dean, was that you? Or somebody? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, uh, thank you. Sorry. Um, the point you were making about uh, Varnashram Dharma, how it's not the highest, that's uh, a more visible uh, demonstration of that is uh, of course, Lord Chaitanya's conversation with Ramananda Roy. Correct. And Ramananda Roy brings brings up at one point how Varnashram, or near the beginning, actually, how 
Varnashram Dharma is actually the perfection of life. And uh, Lord Chaitanya mercifully tells him, okay, that's true, but uh, go on. You know, he's not satisfied. I think he says ekabaya. That what is that what it is? That's external? Yes. So yes, uh, so it, it's, it takes a little thoughtfulness to see how something cannot be the highest, but can help. <laughs> Americans especially want, you know, look at our uh, country code. I always laugh at that, right? I travel around the world in Ireland, the country code is 353 and you know, India is 91 and the UK is 44 in America. <laughs> <laughs> is one so we you know we, we and, and i think even you know some of us when we when we become come to iskan we want well we want to do the best we want to just paramahansa sannyasi right away <laughs> above sannyas but it could so it can be something can be helpful and not at the same time not be the goal and so varnashram you know, you don't take that with you, your, your Varnashram designations to the spiritual world. But you do take, say, for example, the chanting of Hare Krishna, because you glorify Krishna in the spiritual world, you glorify Krishna here. So that's why Rupa Goswami says it's not a part of pure devotional service. That doesn't mean it's not helpful. Marriage is also not a part of pure devotional service. It doesn't mean it's not helpful, except for you, Guru Das Prabhu. Uh, <laughs> what you're wearing saffron <laughs> so uh you know so that but that's that's another that's another way to look at it marriage you know the marriage institution can be very helpful for uh, for a young man and young woman uh in their spiritual practices but not it's not they can do pure devotional service in marriage but in and of itself it's not okay shall we Carry on. Oh, sorry. Um, yes. I, sorry. Go ahead. So you, you brought up my example, and uh, I, I not to be, uh, but I at points in my devotional life, I would look at um, marriage as a possibility because uh, you know so many great devotees in not just in our movement, but also in Shastra, we're married. Um, so it was a point of contemplation, but uh, anyway, it didn't turn out that way. But um, it, like you say, it, uh, for those that are successful at it, it's very helpful. Yeah, yeah, well, different slopes for different folks. Okay, <laughs> thank you for that, yes. Yeah, it, it implies this, yeah, for, you know, um, I remember when I first became a brahmachari, you know, a monk, I, I almost thought that being a brahmachari was the goal of life rather than loving Krishna. <laughs> so I had to learn a little bit more. I, I have a, a question. Um, yes. Dean. So the question is, uh, is, is there a difference between someone who's a, a Brahmin and someone who's full-on sannyasi. And the reason that I ask is, as it seems like as you read about other yugas, I had always interpreted some of the descriptions to imply that uh, like Brahmins were actually 
even though they didn't hold tangible posts, for instance, in government and whatnot, they were very much um, involved to the extent that uh, like Kshatriyas would uh, appeal to their, their wisdom and whatnot. So given that they, you know, that would seem to suggest that they had understanding of what was going on, you know, had some, uh, what's the word, uh, you know, a, a, not attachment, but awareness, uh, awareness. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's a great, that's a very astute uh, observation. I really appreciate that. Because, um, because you could read this chapter and think, yeah, they're just floating above it all. <laughs> And then, for example, um, we hear about uh, the six Goswamis of Vrindavan who were great sannyasis, uh, great renunciates. Um, and it says, Dira Adira Janapriya, that they could relate to everyone. In other words, they weren't just up in their you know, uh, ivory tower. They could relate to the Prabhupada called Adiras, the ruffians. <laughs> And the uh, very sober-minded people, and they could, and both both of those groups um, could, uh, could relate to that. You know, uh, felt comfortable talking to them and taking uh, advice from them. So that's that's one reference. And then you're right. We we read in the in in the Bhagavatam of uh, of of Brahmins uh, doing that. Um, giving guidance to the judges and therefore you have to, you know, you, you can't, you don't want to give, it's kind of like if you go to a doctor and he just starts writing a prescription without any kind of uh, diagnosis, you know, it's, who knows that that prescription is going to be uh, very helpful. So you do need to know a little bit about what's going on to give good advice. I mean, there, there's general spiritual principles that a Brahmin would be aware of that you could say are pretty universal and would apply practically in any situation. But in terms of giving det detailed advice, one would need to be uh, somewhat aware of, uh, of what's going on, or in other words, somewhat of the world in order to be of help to the world. Um, and at the same time, their greatest contribution, especially for the sannyasis, um, is to remind people of the, the goal of life. There was, uh, <clears throat> I was listening, oh, this is some time ago. He was a Christian, he was a president of a university in America. And he was talking about schisms in, in religious organizations. And he was saying how in, in Christianity, you'll often find a, a small group of very dedicated people will start a, whatever, a denomination or whatever. And, and it starts getting more popular. And as it gets more popular, maybe some of the standards become a little more uh, general. And then after some years, he said 40 or 50 years, uh, uh, from that general group, a group says, oh, we've lost some of the purity. Some of the, and they break off and, and the same thing happens after 40 or 50 years and someone breaks off. And then I was really surprised and very interested to hear this, that he said, the, the best way he seemed to avoid this is the Varnashram system. And he said, the reason is because sannyasis are still part of society. They're within the, they don't have to break off. They're within the, the social uh, structure, but they are giving that purity that as we're reading this chapter, that intensity 
that reminder of the uh, of the you know the uh, the stark reality of of this world. So I found that to be interesting. I'd love to hear if others have some um, uh, realizations or thoughts on Dean's uh, very good question. Okay, then we'll have to uh, be satisfied with what I said. Unless uh, Raghunanda, were you going to say something? Yes, Prabhu. Uh, one one thing uh, when whenever the varnashrama think uh, discussion comes up my first thought goes out to that it is a purificatory process it helps because each each one of us are at different stages um, and then every every little bit helps um, and you you were also talking about um, um, the marriage ceremony Prabhupada makes a reference to it in the 18th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, I think somewhere around the fifth text or something like that. In the purport, he mentions a marriage ceremony as a yagya. Mm -hmm. That's right. So, uh, because it is meant to uplift the consciousness of us human beings and every little bit helps. Mm -hmm. And of course, the goal is to come to the stage of pure devotional service. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, but you weren't answering directly Dean's question yeah. about the Brahmins. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I see your point. Yes. That, that, yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, either Ananda Rupa or Jiva. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Again, this is Jiva. Sorry. Uh, so, when we look at Varnashram Dharma as uh, being discussed, we also need to understand that, you know, the Varnas also in the modes of material nature because we are embodied conditioned beings. And then ashram also refers to shelter. So what kind of vehicle are we using? That is not as important as reaching the goal, right? And the purpose of Varnashram Dharma is to engage in devotional service to achieve the goal. Atatu Brahma Jigyasa. So that's the beginning point that we have to look at. So yes, a Brahman being more educated has higher responsibility and higher level of duties. While a Shudra, even though most fallen, as Prahlad Maharaj says, there are, you know, Chandar or even a you know, person in further down class, if he's a devotee, he can devote the whole family, but a Brahman, not a devotee, just following the Varnashram Dharma as duty, will not be able to deliver himself. So again, we have to look at things in perspective, how well are we aligned? Thank you. Thank you. And, and thank you. That's very insightful, Jiva. And also, Dean, I just thought of one other point. This especially the second half of this um, chapter, but perhaps even the first half is talking about the Paramahansa, which is the, there's Prabhupada talks about different stages of sannyas. And this is the one who's just, you know, I'm out of here. <laughs> sort yeah. of. Whereas the Paribhrajagacharya um, is the stage, you could say the stage below, and that's uh, the stage of one who's is very much in the world trying to help people mm -hmm. out of the world. So that, that's another perhaps way to look at it. So there are different gradients within the... Yeah, yeah. Not everything, you know, like even even a very renounced person like uh, my uh, Jayadvaita Swami, uh, when we arrived at our destination in New Jersey, they provided him prasadam. He didn't have to like be like a python and just lie there and see if anything comes his way. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thanks. They give you some too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's move on. Verse number 10. Although a saintly person may not expose himself to the vision of human society. So again, this is that point, the above the vision of human society for like a Paramahansa. 
By his behavior, his purpose is disclosed. To human society, he should present himself like a restless child. And although he is the greatest thoughtful orator, he should present himself like a dumb man. Now, not everyone does that, obviously. Um, but uh, Jadabharata did that. And we studied uh, him. And someone who is, you know, totally renounced this world. Obviously, Srila Prabhupada did not follow this um, verse. In in uh, literally, although he had a childlike dependence on Krishna, which is different than what's being said here. As of course, of course, Srila Prabhupada, his mission was to spread Krishna consciousness around the world. Right. He was a Pariyabhajagacharya rather than he was a Paramahamsa coming down to the Pariyabhajagacharya level to do his service to his guru. So now we start hearing about the uh, history. As a historical example of this, learned sages recite the story of an ancient discussion between Prahlad Maharaj and a great saintly person who was feeding himself like a python. Prahlad Maharaj, the most dear servitor of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, once went out touring the universe with some of his confidential associates just to satisfy the nature of, just to study the nature of saintly persons. Thus he arrived at the bank of the river uh, Kaveri, where there was a mountain known as Saya. There he found a great saintly person who was lying on the ground covered with dirt and dust, but who was deeply spiritually advanced. Neither by the saint's uh, saintly person's activities, by his bodily features, by his words, nor by the symptoms of his Varnashrama status, could people understand whether he was the same person they had known before? And I, I just one sentence here is that nor should one, nor should attempts be made to understand the past of a Vaishnava. You don't want to get Prabhupada uh, very mercifully sometimes told us about his some of his uh, his what they call purva ashram previous ashrama, um, but it's. Um, it's not something that we, you know, you want to dig up if you want to, like, to criticize someone. Well, you know, he used to be a blah, 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 right? And that's the point. Um, the advanced devotee, text uh, 15, Prahlad Maharaj duly worshipped and offered obeisances to the saintly person who had adopted a python's means of livelihood. After thus worshiping the saintly person and touching his own head to the saint's lotus feet, Prahlad Maharaj, in order to understand him, inquired very submissively as follows. So here, also, Prahlad Maharaj is following Varnashram. He is the topmost devotee. He, he's the top, top, top of the top. But still, he's, he's a, as Dean was saying, he's a chatriya, he's a king, and he's, he's following that example by taking uh, shelter of a renounced person. Although, you know, Pallad Maharaj just like, you know, forget it in terms of his level of bhakti. Um, seeing the saintly person to be quite fat, Pallad Maharaj said, my dear sir, you undergo no endeavor to earn your livelihood, but you have a stout body, exactly like that of a materialistic enjoyer. I know that if one is very rich and has nothing to do. He becomes extremely fat by eating and sleeping and performing no work. 
<laughs> and Prabhupada writes, Srila uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur did not like his disciples to become very fat in the course of time. And I remember one disciple of Prabhupada's wanted to take sannyas, and Prabhupada said, you are fat, not fit for sannyas. <laughs> he had to, he's a sannyasi now, but he had to lose some weight. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, the, uh, mean, meaning, you know, the essential thing is uh, not, not because if somebody has, um, what is it called, metabolism that's, you know, this or that and some challenges with weight, but the point being that it, it was an indication of laziness, of uh, overeating and not working hard enough. <laughs> and that was, that was the real concern um, because overeating, um, is not healthy, it's agitating, it is over sense gratification. We should take prasadam nicely um, and peacefully. And actually, if you do eat peacefully, instead of you know watching YouTube videos as you eat, you actually tend to eat less. Because <laughs> you're actually, you know, you're not just shoveling it mindlessly into your mouth, you're actually taking the time to enjoy it and savor it and Appreciate Krishna for that. Your honor appears learned, expert, and intelligent in every way. You can speak very well, saying things that are pleasing to the heart. So here it says he can speak very well. Right? You see that people in general are engaged in fruitive activities, yet you are lying here inactive. Narada Muni continued, when the saintly person was thus questioned by Prahlad Maharaj, the king of the Daityas, he was captain, Prahlad Maharaj is the king of the Daitas. He was captivated by the shower of nectarian words, and he replied to the inquisitiveness of Prahlad Maharaj with a smiling face. The saintly Brahmana said, O best of the Asuras, Prahlad Maharaj, who are recognized by advanced and civilized men, you are aware of the different stages of life because of your inherent transcendental eyes, with which you can see a man's character and thus know clearly the results of acceptance and rejection of things as they are. And Purport says that a pure devotee like Pallad Maharaj can understand the minds of others because of his pure vision in devotional service. A devotee like Pallad Maharaj can study another man's character without difficulty. So that is, uh, you know, you do learn a lot by by the way people dress, by the way people talk, by their body language, but you also sometimes draw assumptions about them based on those things, and those are not always accurate. But Krishna can give uh, insight to a, a devotee, uh, and he does. I think we've all had the experience. You're talking to someone about Krishna, and you get some inspiration to say this or that, and it really helps the other person. And you know, you may not be a, a mind reader or anything, but Krishna gives you intelligence on what, what to say. I've had those discussions with you, Henry, many times. Where you're at some function and you, you, you say something and it really helps the other person. Yeah. It's just, it comes in, you know, when you, um, when you listen to the Bhagavatam classes in the morning and you chant your rounds 
And then, you know, Krishna puts you in a position where like you have a chance to say the right things and it's somehow almost mystical. The right words come out of my mouth and I can see in the face of the person it's affecting them. Yeah. And so what to speak of Prahlad, Prahlad Maharaj. <laughs> so he, he could tell that this person was special. This, this person was very special. And therefore he inquired, he touched his feet even. Narayana, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is full of all opulence, is predominant within the core of your heart because of your being a pure devotee. He, he always drives away all the darkness of ignorance as the sun drives away the darkness in the universe. So he's, uh, so this is continuing the Brahmana um, talking to, um, the, well, the Paramahamsa really, talking to uh, Prahlad Maharaj. My dear king, although you know everything, you have posed some questions which I shall try to answer according to what I have learned by hearing from authorities. I cannot remain silent in this regard for a personality like you is just fit to be spoken to by one who desires self-purification. So he's thinking, I'm going to take advantage of this. I'm getting purified by talking to such a person like Prahlad Maharaj. And Prabhupada says something interesting in the third sentence unless one is prepared to take instructions it is said that a saintly person should not address him although sometimes because of great kindness a saintly person speaks to ordinary men and from our side if we do ask a saintly person a question then we should be prepared to follow what he says and that could be dangerous because he might not say what you wanted to hear then we sometimes go shopping around. We talk, we find five other saintly persons until we find the answer that we, <laughs> that we wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. But uh, yes, <laughs> it's like that time in the train with Srila Prabhupada and Prabhupada was with his brahmacharis and sannyasis, disciples, and some businessmen found out that Prabhupada was there and they said, Swamiji, please, please give us your blessings. Right? And then Prabhupada turns to the shaved head, saffron dressed, said, this is my blessing. <laughs> do you want to do this? Oh, Swamiji, thank you very much. <laughs> they go away. <laughs> they weren't prepared for that one. They were just going to say, yes, Ashtirvad, Ashtirvad, yeah, we'll give you some blessing. But if somebody, if somebody in that group was at all self-aware, that would have been a huge realization for them. Yes, they might have sat down and said, well, Swamiji, tell me how I can do that. I mean, I'm, this is my situation in life, and how could I? Yeah, if they were really sincere. Um, yeah. Can I, can I um, just go, go back uh, to when, when the discussion was about the, uh, the nature of the uh, saintly person or the spiritual master and you were you were mentioning um, uh, along with the purport how we should not be concerned with uh, their background or their history um, we notice how in ISKCON our uh, devotees who were especially close to Srila Prabhupada had a natural desire to know about uh, his life mm -hmm. and his um, 
uh, growth and as a pure devotee, uh, and you know, out of out of that has come so much nectar. Um, so I, I I guess there's there's that dimension also. Yeah, it, what it means, what it, the the um, the warning is there about not you don't consider the spiritual master an ordinary person. And if you hear, well, he had so many kids and he, you know, did this and he did that, it could, but, uh, but for example, the first canto, right in the first canto, we hear two chapters about Narada Muni's life, right? And it's right in the very beginning of the Bhagavad and it's so inspiring. So you're right. It's very inspiring to hear um, about the life of uh, devotees. I, maybe a year ago, I read, um, um, Narottama Das Thakur's, uh, the book by um, um, Harisari's wife, I'm trying to remember her name now, um, starts with an S. Um, and it was wonder, wonder, wonderful book. Yeah. Um, so, and, and we have so many biographies about, and of course, Chaitanya Charitamrita is a biography. And there we hear about Lord Chaitanya from birth to, um, you know, being kind of a quote rascal uh, scholar, <laughs> um, and and his whole life, it's a, it's a whole thing is a biography. So yes, good point. Biographies are very inspiring. No, and and there's a, I'm going to fumble this, but the the verses the the explanation is is so right at the same time because the material tendency is to be you know, like the crow and find fault um, and, and use that fault as a reason not to do that thing. You know, as a, you know, um, what is the expression? Uh, uh, call, a, call a man a dog and hang him. What's that expression? Oh my God. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, but but um, just that idea that... Uh, instead of and we see so much of this unfortunately in today's current affairs the people are blaming instead of uh stepping back and saying hey, you know this is something that makes sense we should follow it but they're blaming instead and saying you know all kinds of things yeah yeah well said thank you so let's move on to uh 24 um because of insatiable material desires, I was being carried away by the waves of material nature's laws. And thus I was engaging in different activities, struggling for existence in various forms of life. So he's not even talking about his earlier this life. He's talking about, you know, his sojourn in the material world. As long as a living entity wants to fulfill various types of material desire, he must continuously change from one body to accept another. That's basic Bhagavad Gita, second chapter. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur explains that as a small piece of grass falls in a river and is tossed about with different types of wood and tree branches, the living entity floats in the ocean of material existence and is dashed and tossed amidst material conditions. This is called struggle for existence. One kind of fruit of activity causes the living being to take one form of body, and because of actions performed in that body, another body is created. But doesn't that sound 
scary. One must therefore stop these material activities and the chance to do so is given in the human form of life. Specifically, our energy to act should be engaged in the service of the Lord for then materialist activities will automatically stop. That was the thing we were talking about earlier about replacing. When, when, when you're just in service to Krishna, then you, know, you don't have, uh, you're not doing any other thing. One must fulfill one's desire by surrendering unto the Supreme Lord, uh, for he knows how to fulfill them. Even though one may have material desires, one should therefore engage in devotional service. That will purify one's struggle for existence. And probably quotes a very famous verse, Akama, Sava Kamova, Moksha Kama, Udharadi, Tivrena, Bhakti Yogena, Yajeta Purushamparam. A person who has broader intelligence, whether he be filled with material desires, without material desires, desiring liberation, must by all means worship the supreme whole, the personality of God. And then the main verse from the nectar of, from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, nectar of devotion, Anyabhilasita Sunyam, Jnana Karma Dhanavritam, Anukul Yena, Krishna Anushilan, Shilanam, Bhakti Uttama. One should render transcendental loving service to the Supreme Lord favorably and without desire for material profit or gain through fruitive activities or philosophical speculation. That is called pure devotional service. So, um, I think it's sometimes tricky for, for us as devotees because we read, for example, chapter two, verse 40, uh, that even a little advancement saves one from the most dangerous type of fears. And we know, you know, even one Hare Krishna mantra um, chanted offenselessly can relieve you from all kinds of sins. Um, and I find sometimes, at least in my own consciousness, I don't get so scared. <laughs> Maybe that's the wrong word, but when I read, as long as the living entity wants to fulfill various types of material desire, he must continuously change from one body to accept another. Because I think, I mean, I know I don't like voice this or even, uh, but I think at least subconsciously, I think, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I mean, okay, yeah, I may have to take another birth. It'll be with a devotee or it's going to be, you know. Uh, you know, it's going to be in a devotee household or um, maybe not, but I'll meet a devotee when I'm young and I carry on. That's true. But I do sometimes wonder how the fear of material existence that may be healthy for us as devotees. Um, if we take that into account enough, or if we just say, oh, well, that part, that's really for the someone who's not taken to Krishna consciousness yet, which, which on one level is true, but on the other level, we don't want to take for granted Krishna's kindness, and rather we want to be grateful. So I, I find that balance in, in my own consciousness over the decades um, something that I have to think about. Anyone else have a, any experiences of that or realizations, struggles? Yes, Prabhu, what you said was so right. Uh, um, 
not only krishna like even the devotees like we think like oh they are very merciful by nature they will, they are forgiving by nature but i i should take some responsibility for my side uh, myself and also responsibility for improving myself so that i can serve krishna and his devotees better mm-hmm. because if if i don't do that then i say like i can continue to uh muddle my way through life and make keep making mistakes and offenses to everybody and so oh, krishna is merciful he will forgive me devotees are merciful they will but i i have some responsibility on myself to bring something better to that interaction thank you for that yeah uh i think some of sometimes we may think krishna is very merciful when we look in the mirror about ourselves but we don't always extend that to other devotees that person is really going to get a heavy reaction for that <laughs> but but for ourselves we think no oh, krishna is very kind he says he says so all over the gee he loves his devotees bhaktavatsa <laughs> yeah anyone else okay then we can carry on um i knew we wouldn't finish this chapter today but we have we're up to uh, we've covered 24 verses that's good so uh, that means we can finish this next week for sure um in the course of the evolutionary process which is caused by fruitive activities due to undesirable material sense gratification i have received this human form of life which can lead to the heavenly planets to liberation to the lower species or to rebirth among human beings well that's pretty much covering the choices except for maybe returning back to godhead um <clears throat> in this human form of life men and women unite for the sensual pleasure of sex but by factual experience we have observed that none of them are happy therefore seeing the contrary results i have stopped taking part in materialistic activities and prabhupad um and again remember this is sanyasi who's gone through uh the different stages of his life and I think we mentioned this last week but a devotee and a impersonalist they both um try to practice celibacy or or you know um um sex within you know the the confines of married life etc um but for slightly different reasons right ultimately the devotee follows that constraint and and I think we did talk about this side so I'll just make it brief um because they want to love krishna <laughs> ultimately and sex life very much puts ourselves as an enjoyer instead of thinking of krishna's enjoyment um and it also the regulated principles or regulated principles of cognition we I think we talked about that last week they they help us see things more clearly so it's not that we're just like these tough people who just you know want to be celibate for celibacy celibacy's sake or 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 restricted within marriage and and you know be uh what is what do people say victorian in our uh, approach to to life but because a devotee is so a, a great devotee is so fixed on krishna's pleasure these other things are just like eh you know which may be like the biggest thing in in this world in so many different ways um you know the tv shows and the this and the that and everything um and for someone who's actually fixed in 
in bhakti. It's just like, yeah, you know, that, that's not very interesting. <laughs> um, and even one place probably says that a, a great devotee will see sex life as abominable. Mm. Again, not, not because they just, you know, curl up their teeth and all those stupid, idiotic, you know, women or those terrible, lusty men. It's not like that. It's because of a higher taste. Because they've actually fallen in love with God. I can add one thing. Uh, yes. One of, the thing, one of the things I've kind of gathered from reading Prabhupada's writings is that, uh, which is kind of daunting, <laughs> is that I, I've kind of gathered that um, we've been born into Kali Yuga for, you know, some karmic reason probably beyond our ability to comprehend and though it presents an opportunity because you know of you know certain uh i guess spiritual abilities are not expected because things are, are devolved it also seems like he's suggesting that we're, we're human but a lot of us here in Kali Yuga are probably really uh skating the thin ice between you know rebirth to to like a lower species um uh i don't know what you what you think about that i don't think yeah, yeah. my guess is you know we're probably sitting here at least somewhat you know on, on a good path uh but um you, you see it though i mean it's like when you, when you think about um our lifestyle and society. I mean, it is, what did he used to say? Uh, most people, God, people in Gala Yuga are well-dressed animals or something of that nature, I think. I can't remember what time. So, yeah, uh, yes, that, that, that's one thing. Another one in Sanskrit is Dvi Pada Pashu. Uh, Dvi means two, Pada means feet, and Pashu means animal. So two-legged animals. Mm -hmm. If we only do the same thing as animals, eat, sleep, mate and defend mm -hmm. and we may do it we probably would say like in a polished apartment uh and a dog may do the same things on the street or something but it's still yeah. essentially the so you, same you get it you get a feeling that the you know the stakes are, are high you know what i mean <laughs> for us to get things get things together you know yeah the i like that the stakes yes yes and that's certainly uh, i i think that's a great way to give one part of a summary of Prabhupada's writings. There's urgency. Stakes are high. Yeah, very nicely, very nicely put. Um, so let's see. Uh, we'll do one more verse. The actual form of life for the living entities is one of spiritual happiness, which is real happiness. This happiness can be achieved only when one stops all materialistic activities. Material sense enjoyment is simply imagination. So this is that sannyasi's um, realization. Therefore, considering the subject matter, I have ceased all material activities and am lying down here. In this way, the conditioned soul living within the body forgets his self-interest because I, I, he identifies himself with the body. Because the body is material, his natural tendency is to be attracted by the varieties of the material world. Thus, the living entity suffers the miseries of material existence. So why don't we um, stop there? 
and we will uh, continue from 29 and we'll finish the chapter, Krishna willing, next week. And this will be uh, the beginning of the uh, new month, the month of Kartika, begins on Wednesday. So just like uh, Christians have the 40 days of Lent, where they perform, um, yeah, austerities, I think is a fair word, and, uh, and you know, try to make up for any inappropriate things they did during the year, <laughs> like that. And uh, people who follow Islam have Ramadan, which is a 28, 29, 30 days, depending on the, count, the lunar calendar. Um, where they don't eat during the day and they increase their prayers and increase their spiritual advancement. And even in, in, um, in the Indian tradition, there, there's uh, Navaratri, there's um, Shravan, uh, month of Shravan. But you know, for us as followers of uh, the Goswamis and Lord Chaitanya, this is the most significant month, the month of Kartika, where we can perform what's called the Urja, Urja Brata, or the... Uh, different vows to uh, make spiritual advancement. It begins uh, Wednesday, I believe. And we um, chant the Dhammadarasika, this, this beautiful prayer to the Lord's form as um, a child. Um, we usually offer a lamp or um, one can take a match or to a picture of Krishna or a lighter, you know, make leave your in a concert, you know, uh, <laughs> like that. Um, and we try to increase our chanting or our reading. And we may choose to do some bodily austerity. We may choose to not eat sweets that month or to, you know, yeah, to cut down on some eating or, or something along those lines. Um, one, one great vow is to not criticize anyone for a whole month. <laughs> See if you can do that. That may be the hardest one or to cut down on social media or cut down on, uh, on computer time or something like that. But there, it's, a, it's a time of reflection, a time of introspection, a time for uh, making uh, spiritual advancement. So we, it is, now it is time to end, it's noon. And thank you very, it's nine o'clock in the morning for <laughs> So thank you very much, Hare Krishna. Thank you, Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna, thank you. Thank you, Prabhu. Hare Krishna.